I'm Justin. I'm Maite. I'm Marius. I'm Jordan. I'm Justin. Sorry, I didn't like my first one. (laughs) (laughs) And And this this is is Comicsverse. Welcome to another episode of the Comicsverse podcast. As always, I'm your host, Comicsverse CEO, Justin Alba. Um, There's three people here. We are spread out all across the globe, um, very similar to Captain Planet and the Planeteers, which has absolutely nothing to do with today, um, except for, and to be honest with you, there's only four of us, so we're missing heart, um, or hate, you know, no, just kidding. <laughs> I like, I like it. I was like, do I need to mute myself? Because I'm laughing so hard I, I right muted myself. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Stream of Consciousness is a thing. Uh, Maite is here to talk Marvel. Hi, Maite, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Thank you so much for recommending Vision to me. You're the one who finally got me to read it. Yeah, I was being really annoying about it. I think I mentioned it to you like every week. So you read Vision a while ago. Uh, you read it for fun, right? You weren't covering it at Comics So you read it for fun. What is something that you hope people who are listening to this podcast, they haven't gone out and read a Vision, they're going to hear this, they're going to go out and read, read Vision. What do you want them to have gained from reading the comic? The first time I read it, I just felt that it was such an original take on Vision. I hadn't really read a lot of Vision comics. Of course, you know, we see him in the movies, but I hadn't really read a work that was so centralized on him and his humanity. So I think after this podcast, I hope people get um, a sense of, you know, the work's take on what it means to be human and how complicated that can be. But at the same time, it's very simple. And of course, I'm sure we'll talk about that today. So... I hope people understand how amazing the work is and how different it is and how unique it is. And it, if they haven't read it, to definitely check it out. Jordan, you're here all the way from Virginia. So when did you first read Vision? Did you read it for work or did you read it for pleasure? So I actually just finished reading it probably like three or four days ago. And then Justin was like, hey, we're going to talk about Vision. I was like, oh my gosh, the Tom King run. I am here for this because I just finished reading it and it's 10 out of 10. It is 10 out of 10. Uh, Marius, how about you? When did you first come across Vision? Because you're mostly an X-Men guy like me, right? Yeah, yeah, right, Justin. But um, I'm really excited to be joining the podcast today because um, I think the first time that I actually read Tom King's Vision was uh, two years ago when I was staying at the at the Comics First headquarters, so to say. Um, and I was on my way back to, to Germany, uh, but we went to Boston first. So my dad and I used to go to this uh, comic book store in Boston um, and we, um, I, I was kind of hesitant to buying anything because I'd already spent a lot of money in New York. But um, me and my dad decided to get the book and we both read the first pages and immediately agreed that this was one of the best superhero comic books uh, in recent years. And now I would even say that it's one of the best superhero comic books I've ever read in my life. And I mean, um, basically like a, a year ago when uh, we were moving here, I decided to, to put up a, a shelf um, on like an... Uh, ikea shelf uh, with my favorite comic books um and vision by tom king is up there right with with uh the stuff that i enjoy most in comics which is like stuff like um uncanny x-force by rick remender or even astonishing x-men by joss whedon and it's it's up there with that um it's it's very different from that uh, in terms of what i enjoyed from it but it, it's such an original take on the on the genre and on the character and and there's a lot of themes that i think we we can get into exploring today <laughs> Is Vision a new classic? I think that um, it, f- it somewhat falls out of the, the conventions of the superhero genre in terms of like, um, of like comic books uh, in, in a similar way 
or maybe this isn't that good an analogy, but I, w- I was reminded of uh, stuff like the, um, when, when we look at comic book movies, stuff like the, the Dark Knight trilogy, or especially the second Dark Knight movies. And I mean, thematically, this isn't really comp- uh, comparable, but in terms of how, um, I guess, um, the creators have, have done new or explored new ideas um, within the genre in, um, in new ways, I think is, um, it's kind of the analogy that I'm going for. Uh, in terms of why you wanted us to do a podcast on Vision and why you think Vision will be a, a new classic, do those two things overlap? No, for sure. Because the reason why I enjoyed it so much was because of how original it was and how I, you know, I would see people even recommending it to me and just responding to it in such a different way. Like people were just so entranced by this work. And so I think it's an important one. It's just, I mean, like we've been saying so far, just how it just changes the way people are depicting superheroes. It's changing the genre, it's changing the conventional ways of depicting a a narrative involving superheroes. And I think because of that, and because it was so good and so well written, so well drawn, um, I think it's important to talk about. There's so much to unravel. The one thing that I didn't find too unconventional about it, I guess as someone who loves things like X-23 Innocence Lost, is that I didn't feel that this was necessarily outside of the realm of superhero comics um, in the sense that it wasn't necessarily about him going out and fighting crime. I do find all the other aspects of it completely uh, outside of the box and very new and very cool. I also wanted to hear what you guys thought about that. I think that the one thing that does kind of put this out of the realm still is that vision is a relatively well-known superhero not that the x-men aren't but i do think you've read avengers comics you've read west coast avengers like you've read the comics more that vision has been in and x-men are like x-men and that's its own little like unique little bubble of all these x characters and you don't like if you don't read x-men chances are you might not see as much of the x-men but as far as vision like you read Avengers he's probably in there or you've seen the Avengers movies like Vision is in there so I think there's that idea where he's more of a mainstream quote-unquote character superhero that we see a lot more of and we hear a lot more of about but we haven't really seen his family side and like everyone knows he's a robot but we don't really see him as a human until like this run kind of so I think that's kind of where it draws more from the -the out-of-the-box element of the superhero genre well is he a robot to you I'm conflicted on that question always because I know there are people out there who are like, he's obviously a robot. Like you saw how he was built and you saw where he came from. But like, I don't really know. To me, the soul stone and his like processing system gives him more of that human quality and that capability. And especially like wanting to have a family and wanting to have the family, like be more like a human family than just like, these robots interacting with each other. So I would lead more toward the human side, but like, I don't know. I can see both sides, I guess. Topics like this always bring me back to Blade Runner. The story of the movie revolves around this uh, conflict between humans and their creations, which are called replicants. And they're essentially robots, but they look human. They talk like humans. Um, and the whole con- or the whole controversy in the movie itself is that replicants act more conventionally human than the humans in the film do. They emote more, they have more connections amongst themselves. Um, So tying it in with this story, you kind of see that amongst the humans and Vision's family, like right off the bat when 
uh, George and Nora, the neighbors, show up, they're immediately judgmental. They're immediately making assumptions about them. And yet, despite the fact that Vision created his own family artificially, he, I mean, at the end when he's rebuilding his son, you see that he is establishing those connections and he's expressing an emotional connection to them. Um, yeah, I think I, I think in response to the question of what makes him human, I think we uh, we have to separate these layers a bit uh, because, um, well, as you mentioned, I think that um, if we talk biologically, we can um, deduce pretty fast that uh, under that category he wouldn't qualify as a human. But m maybe without getting into like the like the biological determinism, I guess, for his identity, I think that's there's still some stuff that separates him from a human because. Um, the way he talks to his wife and his family and the way that he sees himself as someone who has to try and integrate into human society. I think he has a, a sense of identity that is um, distinct from what he perceives as humanity. So I would see him more as kind of a like a cultural hybrid even. Um, but I also think that um, it's possible to, um, to acknowledge him to be something that is not, or at least not entirely human, but to definitely... Um, uh, I guess acknowledge his um, his um, status as a um, as a person. I think because in philosophy there's a there's a pretty big debate about whether um, someone should be accepted as a person if they are not human um, or under what circumstances. But I think regardless of uh, where exactly we would draw that line, I think most people would agree that it would probably apply to to vision. Tom King takes you on this amazing journey, especially if you start off with the preconceived notion that he's definitely a robot like I did. But I kept asking the question and I kept thinking, what is this about? And vision to me is about being human and it's about what it means to be human. And then I thought things like that he has a processing center. And then I thought about the time someone first explained to me what a processor was when I was in seventh grade and they described it as the brain. And don't people describe the human body as a machine a lot? I mean, don't we take in fuel and break it down and use it as energy? And um, of course, like, you know, vision isn't, and his family isn't made up of biological components, but you know, when you start to add in things, especially like in modern technology, things like IVF, um, in terms of having kids, and also when you think about what are the real differences between visions families biological processes and humans biological processes they don't they seem to not be as important when you look at what overlaps in terms of the emotional stuff what i couldn't get over was how much pain the wife was in and how she was just like a desperate housewife yeah so maybe in response to your point about what is the difference between human and not human i think the the book makes a point pretty early on about um how I guess what distinguishes humanity from others is actually, or from, I guess, the, the robot selves that uh, Visions and, and their families still partly see them, uh, themselves as, is kind of the relationship to logic, which is interesting because a lot, a lot of times when you, uh, when you read philosophy about what makes us human, um, a lot of points are being made about humanity as the rational species or like the 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 arbiters of perfect logic or whatever and I, I think in this case it's it's more about i mean you could make a case for the the brain as being kind of a processor as analogous to to the processor that um that vision has but it's seen as kind of imperfect even because um 
and and I think Vision says this pretty explicit, uh, explicitly in the book. I think he says um, the pursuit of a sad purpose by logical means is the way of uh, tyranny. It's um, this is the vision of my creator of Ultron. The pursuit of an uh, unobtainable purpose by absurd means is the way of freedom. This is the vision of the future, of our future. Uh, and I think this uh, signifies his way to wanting to become more human by wanting to become less logical, I think, which is interesting because, um, and this comes up a lot, I guess, in, in a lot of decisions that the characters make or a lot of the, the plot points, that this is kind of what, what sets us apart. What interests me about it is that I think he's more human than he realizes. And in the end, what he does is such a human thing. And what he does the entire time is so human. Like he's worrying about his kids, but he's doing it. And we're viewing life through the lens of this like robot family that Tom King created. But I feel like that questioning he was going through was a metaphor for maybe ways that we all feel. Cause I, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but there's definitely been times in my life where I felt like subhuman, have been treated subhuman. Um, more, I mean, you know, there, uh, aren't there times where we're all like, God, like, why am I so fucked up and no one else is and things like that? And is that his version of that? Um, yeah, I agree. I think that um, this is something that, that comes up throughout the book. It's kind of also the notion of being otherized. Um, and I think this is something that especially... Um, his his son experiences sometimes. For instance, when he um, when he uh, refers to one of the the Shakespeare quotes, I think that he uh, that his teacher recited um, and talks to his mother about it. it was kind of a, a scene that um, for me symbolized the way that um, that he was feeling otherized. And a lot of like the uh, in poetry, I, I guess a lot of the generalizations that we make about humanity is something that he doesn't seem to fit in because he perceives himself as as different than others. Um, I think it's not only that. I think um, it works pretty effectively as a metaphor for for all kinds of otherizations, which, I mean, um, that's something that doesn't necessarily um, set the book apart from others because that's that's something that uh, the x-men comics have been doing all the time uh, i think the i think there's another layer to the to the metaphor here um in terms of um differentiating between uh, uh really between human and not human um in in another way i think tracking it back just a tad to what maria said before uh I forgot what it was, but you said something and it made me think of this. And that's how you see in juxtaposition between his relationship with Scarlet Witch and Virginia, which is his, you know, synthesoid wife. And even though her consciousness is derived from Scarlet Witch, there's still a difference in the way they talk to each other and the way they interact with each other. Because you look back at the flashbacks and he's laughing and he's engaging in these very human conversations that he might not necessarily find to be logical with his wife yet it still feels natural in some in his own perception so it's interesting because he has showcased this capability of being human yet in the beginning of the vision story he's almost restricting himself from it and kind of isolating himself from human action and even though he's putting up a facade so it's like he's putting up the front of humanity but like inside he's trying to keep it very objective if that makes sense yeah, no, I agree completely. And I thought it was interesting that you brought up 
um, how he acts with Scarlet Witch versus how he acts with Virginia because I kind of was thinking along the same lines and and especially with when he flashes back to the joke that happened with Scarlet Witch and they both like once she explains they both laugh and they have a good time but when he tells that to Virginia like it doesn't have the same effect and I do think that kind of shows like wow Vision can definitely act very human and you see that a lot with Scarlet Witch but with his robot family like that that's not really what happened. And yeah, I think Mike Jay said it perfectly when he's kind of holding it back, holding himself back, trying to act human on the outside because he's around humans, but like he's not really interacting with humans at home or anything. There's no, none of that physical connection with them really at all. I think that, um, and I, I guess that got me thinking like the difference between uh, his wife and, and Scarlet, which in a lot of ways, I think this, um, this is dealt with uh, even in the first issue of the the run um and one of the things i had to think of was the the basis of zen la as kind of a, like a visual metaphor for that even um which is uh for those of you who haven't read it um the vases of zen la are basically um a vase that can never have flowers in them so um at the i think it's even at the the ending of the first issue that um um, I guess the narrator asks the reader, "Why would you ever create such a such a vase in the first place?" And I think, in a in a way, that's analogous to how um, to how we are supposed to like question the relationship between Vision and his family, because technically, like from a, I guess depending on um, on like what um, logic you want to apply or like what um, what your perception of logic would be, there's not really a reason for for Vision to create a family. I guess the point is that um, he ends up doing things that are technically illogical or that are uh, ultimately meaningless, but that make him more human. So I think that um, that that's still kind of a, a set goal to become more human for himself. And part of that is um, is having the nuclear family and having and living the American dream, I guess. Um, so I guess um, that that's part of why he interacts with Virginia the way he does. And I, I, I guess at least in my head, because um, the way that he interacts with her is the way that he interacts with someone who isn't human, but who he thinks should be human and who he has to explain to what, um, what the process of that should be, or I guess how, how that should take place or what defines becoming human. And part of that is doing things that are meaningless or illogical. What I got from it was just that this is a book about life, and this is a book about what it means to be human, what it means to be a person. And the tragic irony of it is that they were human the whole time, uh, that everything that they feel, everything that they do, it's all stuff that we do. It's just through the lens of being robots. And we start off thinking that they are more robotic, that they are fully logical. And then we learn that they're full of contradictions. They're full of all the flaws that we are full of as humans and that the beauty of the story lies in there for me. But I get that. I feel like you guys don't, you had a different interpretation. I really want to hear it. I mean, I agree with a lot of that. But uh, personally, when it comes to Vision's reasons for creating his family, I don't necessarily know if it was because he was lonely or because he, I mean, maybe, I mean, I do think there's, I mean, again, there's like so many different interpretations you can take of this work. So part of me is like, yeah, no, he wanted to be human. But at the same time, you see him repeat, like repeat the fact that he, or at least the narrator repeats the fact that he saved the world 37 times, 37 times. And it almost kind of sounds 
mundane after you keep on hearing that it's almost as if it's not that big of a deal like obviously he's going to save the world he's an avenger so part of me wonders if vision didn't necessarily feel accomplished he didn't have this sort of um he didn't feel a sense of success when it came to him saving the world because he's done it so many times so part of me wonders if to him saving the world wasn't necessarily enough for him to feel fulfilled in his own mind and in his own life and that's why he made the family that's just my perspective I think a big part of it as well is um, him wanting to become an ordinary human uh, rather than just a human, because I think part of that is, um, and to a certain extent, I guess, um, we've seen that in the movies sometimes and um, in the way he's been covered in comics before, um, um, he has similarities to other heroes. But um, this book I, I thought of as him wanting to not even necessarily blend in, but... Uh, have the the suburban human experience to to a large degree at least and um yeah i guess um some of the the stuff that i was thinking about is um whether this is what uh continued to him kind of becoming even the villain within the plot because um at the at the ending or at the end of the the first half of uh or at the the ending of the first volume basically what he decides to do is something that is basically impossible and illogical and and not meaningful and is to continue uh wanting to have this family wanting to support this family even though he knew it was impossible and it was implied earlier that that was what uh, was going to um was going to make him more human so i think that um while I agree, I agree with um, a lot of what Justin has said, um, I think that a part of it is also him wanting to become more like an ordinary human who can fit in. Um, but that being part of what, what breaks him ultimately. Do you think that that's all of our struggle? Because when I hear you say that, I'm like, well, that's my struggle too. Yeah, I, I think to a certain extent, I, um, I agree with that. Um, but, but again, I think that um, the metaphor here doesn't, just work for for otherization i guess uh, or just work f uh, in terms of like wanting to 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 attain this kind of like conformity to to like a suburban american dream type uh ideal but it's also a lot about uh him or his family sometimes not understanding the human experience and wanting to understand it when it comes to the distinction of acting based on logic or acting based on uh, meaning uh, basically meaninglessness and impossibility um and i think that this is what what um sets this apart maybe from maybe to a certain extent even from experiences that we can understand um in uh, given all like like limited perspective as humans i guess the part that gets me about saying we all want to be the same is yes, but no. Like, I definitely do not want to be a cookie cutter individual. Like, I definitely want to have something, you know, different about myself. Like, I don't want my Tay and I to be the exact same person because that would be boring and who would want that? So I think that's the part that really gets me about Vision is that kind of like Mary said, like, they don't quite understand what it means to be human and to be different like the, sure they're modeled after kids or they're modeled after scarlet witch or they're they have the model there but it's not the same as all this growing up and kind of understanding like i don't want to be exactly the same as you and kind of finding a way to differentiate between us like we might like the same things but that doesn't mean we need or should be the same person and that's kind of where i think vision and his family kind of go a step too far i guess is the best way to say that 
See, because to me, it, that they felt like so much of an outsider, that was why they wanted to fit in. It wasn't that they wanted to be necessarily cookie cutter. It was that they didn't want to be on the outside. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that, but I just think to be on the inside, they went too far. Like, they weren't like, oh, I want to be the same, but, like, not quite the same. They were like, that family, we are a suburban family. We are this. We are living in Arlington. We are being like all the other kids who live in Northern Virginia. Like, that type of idea was just the right idea, but the wrong execution. Yeah, and I think they were working with what Vision's perception of, of normality is. And again, then that calls on the question of what exactly defines normal, what exactly defines ordinary. And that kind of also ties into the whole work as a whole, because we were talking about how it fits into the superhero genre. And then now I'm kind of thinking, well, what exactly defines superhero genre? So I think that's something that the whole series kind of challenges. Can we talk about that? How much that word normal came up and how many times that question, am I normal, was asked? Yeah, doesn't it come up immediately after Virginia kills the Grim Reaper where she keeps saying everything is normal, everything is normal as if like that was a slight glitch in the system, but now we can go back to being a normal family. But really, like any human, that would totally derail your whole life. See, I got a different interpretation of that. I was like, wow, everything is normal. You are like a normal person. Just casually bearing a body on a Saturday night. It was because she couldn't handle it. Like, you know, she wasn't properly trained. I mean, that's what I got. But then again, that's the, the beauty of this. It's so open to those interpretations. I think I um I definitely have a different take from yours on this, Justin, because um I guess rereading the book it reminded me a lot of uh, American Beauty, and you 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 other guys can tell me if you uh, agree or disagree with that. But uh, I think in in both works it's it's a pretty common theme that um the characters want to to achieve normality in this uh, suburban American life and like within the context of the American dream, arguably. Um, and th this is ultimately what breaks some of these characters or what um, what makes uh, some of these characters, I guess, um, slip into the behavior that they do by the end of the book. Because um, I guess for me, one of the big parts was um, when uh, Vision's daughter by the end of the book was uh, finally um, acknowledging that what what happened to her, what happened to her family and also the the whole premise of what she is um, this is not normal, right? This is far from normal. It's pretty far from normal. And I guess her acknowledging that by the end of the book is kind of uh, the family's arc for me, even to an extent, because when you think back to what happened over the course of the plot, a lot of um, the stuff that happened happened because uh, members of the family couldn't um, acknowledge or want to deal with the fact that um, they are they are not normal. In, in that sense, but that doesn't necessarily have to be anything bad or anything, but like the, the urge to conform to this like suburban ideal, um, it, it, it's too much for them uh, in the same way that it's too much for the characters in American Beauty, I thought. Uh, what was the significance of that question? Am I normal or talking about being normal? What do you think it was in, in this book for you? I think that's honestly something that's not necessarily addressed or at least not something that's not necessarily answered because we start off with this perception of what vision believes to be normal and then by the end of the story we realize that that was that contributed to his family's downfall and at the end we see him kind of re-engaging with that cycle of what he believes is normality so i don't think that i don't think we ever or at least tom king never really establishes a definition of that and 
which I kind of like. I like how it's open-ended because maybe there really isn't a definition of what's normal. Yeah, I agree with that completely. And honestly, that question for me was just so heartbreaking. Every time it was asked, like, am I normal? Am I normal? No, you're not normal, but that's not a bad thing. Like, I don't think that there's ever one person who in the course of their life is like, oh, everything I do is totally normal. Like everything fits in like this one small box. Like, I hope not that because like, that's just not a reality and trying to force yourself into this perceived perception of normality and what's normal. Like just because what you think is normal is not what the next person is going to think is normal. And just like, be yourself, please. Wow. I'm turning into like an advocate for like being independent, be yourself. But like, that's really, I guess, cause that's resonates with me. Cause that's kind of who I am as a person but honestly like that's what I got out of this was like don't question whether or not you're normal like it's fine just act yourself like the other kids might not like you as much but like it'll be okay no I love it what 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 does it say though taking a step back what does it say about this work that we all have such vastly different yet at the same time so intricately intertwined interpretations of it to me that is one sign that this is a really fucking deep ass comic book and a really good one yeah, I think um, I, th- I I guess in response to how um, the book deals with um, with being normal or not being normal, I kind of want to bring uh, bring up one of my favorite scenes from the entire thing is when um, um, Virginia talks to to Victor about uh, playing the piano, and what she she's talking about is that sometimes she doesn't really feel like she's a separate entity from the piano so what she says is she's simply like she's learning um how to to play the notes in a very uh robotic manner i want to say which is kind of how she feels and when she says she's almost feeling like um she's becoming the piano um and she says that she she's perfect and that she is the piano um and i thought that was a pretty beautiful metaphor for how um in a lot of scenarios the way that um I guess normativity uh, shapes us is that um, we we try to to perform a certain sense of identity or a certain sense of uh, what we think uh, others expect from us or what we are supposed to do in society. Um, but at the same time, we lose um, kind of the, like the sense of like true individual um, sense of self or like individuality because. Um, there's not really like a separate entity from from just like the the normative frame that we have to operate in, right? Because um, we are becoming the piano because um, we are just like going through the motions. We know what the what the notes are, I guess. And and I guess on on the one hand, it works very beautifully in in that regard in terms of like all types of normativity, I would argue. But it also works um, beautifully in this context because she is also technically. Um, robotic in, in that way and it um it's it's another source of conflict for her because um and this is even like uh juxtaposed like with her like grabbing through through the vases that i i mentioned earlier which is a pretty beautiful um i guess visual metaphor because it gets into how she um she questions like her own sense of existence or like even her own sense of purpose for existing and that's um that's something that I, I think really sets this book apart in terms of how it deals with, with being normal. No, but I agree with Marius. I was thinking more about times when vision seemed like extremely normal to me and uh, thinking about Virginia and thinking about her dying at the end, actually, because I think vision had a very quote unquote normal reaction to that. Of course he didn't want her to die and was like, please like get this out of your body. Like, please, I don't want you to leave. And 
I, I think that's a very human reaction to death and something that all the people I know would say to someone who like brought that upon themselves and like didn't want them to leave and die and I don't really know where I was going with this but like that that is kind of where Marius's comments took me down so yep vision can be normal sometimes each member of the family had their own sort of passion um and you know whether you want to argue if uh vision's passion uh was you know maintaining his family which I think it was or not I, I think that there's still an argument both ways but in terms of how it affected us personally, what did you guys take away from those moments that happened, you know, throughout the series? Kind of heartbreaking to say the least. I think I found Viv to be one of the more tragic characters of the work because she ended up surviving. However, she still has to live with everything that happened and having her mother confess the fact that she was a part of CK's death, the boy that she ended up having a connection with at her school. That's just completely tragic because to her I feel she may be thinking that she attempted to be human she attempted to have human connections and it backfired and just ended up causing pain so there is this ambiguity as to where she goes from there and I find that really tragic because her first experience with another human with another individual turned out to be so sad for her um so like most of these most members of the family I found that like that story to be particularly tragic I think I agree that um, these moments that kind of humanize some of the characters are definitely one of the, the biggest strengths of the book because um, it um, it gets into their personal arcs. I guess this is just like a, a more general comment from me. It's like um, the way that Vision has, um, has put up kind of a mission statement of them having to become a human suburban family it um it affects them in very individual ways and i think um even in ways that vision doesn't really understand but at some points that victor did understand which is uh why i keep coming back to to the scene i i mentioned earlier about um about virginia is that um she even she even says to to victor that she mentioned this to to vision but she didn't really think he wanted to hear or he even understood it in the first place is that um, the process that are going to, uh, through, I think, is really painful in a way. Um, and, and, I, and you guys mentioned some of the other examples of how that uh, affects the rest of the family. And I think that um, this is something that's, that's a pretty unique situation for all of them and that um, Vision hasn't really considered, I think, in the, uh, in the beginning or uh, at the point of their conception. And I think that's a big part of it. I was trying to find Vin's uh, Shakespeare quote, actually, because I wanted to talk about him finding solace in Shakespeare. Uh, hold, please, for the ramblings of an English major. But uh, Shakespeare especially has become, you know, this huge playwright. Everyone knows who Shakespeare is. But throughout it all, Shakespeare has always been um, those big roles that people really want to play because they have the really intense emotional arcs. And I think that was so interesting to me to absolutely love Shakespeare and to see then kind of connect with him and connect with the words that he's spoken and say like hey this is what I'm using to try to be more normal and try to relate to the humans and say like these are the emotions that I might not feel but I want to feel and I really want to put it all in and I just uh remember Victor I think telling him like hey you're doing this a lot you need to stop because everyone can hear you but He's just trying to connect to the emotional aspect of what Shakespeare's words bring out. And I love that idea, actually. I, I kind of love how that was where Vin went, even though, like, I know 
things don't work out quite as well for him. But I love that he chose words as his way of kind of expressing who he wanted to be. And even though that may not have been exactly he ended up being or who he even could be, like that's where he found solace and that's what brought him true. Yeah. True solace. Can we start breaking down some individual moments? Because, you know, for me, there was a few textual things that I found really powerful, frankly. Number one was the repeating of words and like how after the first, at the end of the first issue, I think, or the second issue at least, um, Vivian is repeating mother, mother, mother. When um, Vin is in that fight, which we'll go into, he keeps repeating mother, mother, mother. You can see Virginia start to lose it. And you can tell she's losing it because she's repeating words. She's sounding more robotic. She's trying to keep with the script that's in her, but these, I guess these emotions or these things she's done is, is getting in the way of that. Did anything in terms of the text and the use of re- repetition in words and sentences kind of um, make you think? Yeah, I think, uh, I think for Virginia, it works best and it, it made for some of the most memorable moments in the book because... Um, her saying that over over and over again, everything is fine, everything is normal, I'm perfect, perfect, perfect. Um, I think this um, is a pretty effective way to communicate um, her being in self-denial about her situation, basically. I actually found that really frustrating because obviously like her repeating words like that was not normal for her like regardless of what normal means like that was not who she how she was programmed to act who she was programmed to be like that was wrong and vision did not see any problem with it like there was never a moment in time when he was like wait this is really weird you're repeating multiple words like what's going on there was never a moment and that frustrated me to no end I was like you could have just asked her and we could have had this like probably a little bit better like she might have been as like off her wiring off her programming as what ended up happening um in issue three they talk about the everbloom which is this tree that's in the visions family's living room and they say that the petals of the everbloom tree can give a person visions but there's a catch that comes with it apparently you have to consume the petal of the everbloom twice the first um she says after hunger and then after murder so in the flashback they show they show a cat eating the petal of the everbloom and then agatha killing the cat and then she has these intense visions of uh, Vision covered in blood and ultimately succumbing to his vices and killing the Avengers. And of course, we will come to learn that that doesn't actually happen. So for me, that kind of called into question this sort of idea of predestination or this idea of fate that the work kind of alludes to. And we see that, you know, Vision creating his family, believing that that would work and kind of establishing that. But life is unstable and the way every action and reaction that takes place is unpredictable. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think that um, the Everbloom um, serves a pretty, like within the, the context of uh, the world that the, the comic is situated in, I think it serves a really important role in terms of the narrative structure because we actually have, um, again, for those who haven't read the comic, we actually have two narrators throughout the, the course of the comic. Um, the first of them being Agatha and, um, the second of them being Scarlet Witch. And um, we, we kind of get um, different senses of how um, the, the, the future, I guess, of the Vision family is going to turn out, which is um, within the plot is justified by the fact that um, they're just um, 
different perspective that these characters have and different, um, I guess, um, modes of predestination that are influenced by the by the other bloom because for the first half of the book we are given the impression that this is going to happen vision is going to race the world and actually the the one missing variable i guess i think is his wife in the end she decides to to um to eat part the the ever bloom herself which is kind of what what changes this this sense of predestination i think i think it's um it's done masterfully in terms of um being a, a kind of foreshadowing and I, I think we get that a lot in comic books is that um there's going to be foreshadowing and events are going to be teased that um don't really take place in the end um which is in terms of the narrative structure is just like, like really irritating to me as a reader but this book actually did a, a great way of justifying that within the world that the comic takes place in um and by the end it all kind of makes sense but it also um allows for 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 just an, another like type of suspension because the reader doesn't actually get to know um uh, get to know who uh, narrates the story until they are i guess a bit further down into the the first volume or the the second volume each is this a perfect comic book because it seems that every single loose end is tied up uh by the end and in such thoughtful soulful ways that as we're talking about it, it, it's just dawning on me how genius this is. When Jordan said the word genius, I sprung right up. I was like, this is a genius work. Another part that makes this comic book so perfect is that you don't have to know comic continuity to understand what's going on in this book. Like, you might need to know a little bit about who Scarlet Witch is, maybe. But even from context clues, I think it's really easy to understand. There's no, like, I've read Marvel forever, and there are still comic books where I have to look up and be like, who the heck is this character? I have no clue. And I know DC fans feel exactly the same way. So for this to be kind of a self-contained story, and you know the location, they tell you, hey, it's Arlington, Virginia. You might not have ever been there, but you know, and you can look up pictures and say, like, we have Vision, we have Virginia, we have Viv, we have Vin, and just kind of lump them all together. Like, Tony Stark is in there for a hot second, but, like, you you can still figure out who he's supposed to be, even if you're not like, oh, that's Tony Stark, that's Iron Man. You still are like, oh, okay, he's this really smart guy who helped Vision fix Viv. So part of that being like, wow, I can just pick this up, I can read it, I can hand it to someone and say, hey, you've never read a comic? Read this one. This one's great. You don't need to know who any of these characters are to understand the story, to understand what's going on, to say, wow, this was a really impactful book. I I like it, hands down, like, yes. So I, I love that Tom was not like, oh, we have to drag all this old stuff in. We have to look at all this old stuff. He was like, nope, writing the self-contained story, we're done with this. You can read it and everyone should read it. Yeah, I, and I definitely agree that um, this is a, a big part of what makes this comic book great is that it's self-contained and that is, uh, it's relatively short too. I think it, mm, I'm not sure, but I, I, I think I like the fact that it's only 12 issues um, and I think it works very effectively and wraps up everything that it, it sort of promised and set up. Um, but also like an, another thing that I, I was thinking of is that um, this is actually like a, a very as others have said um it's it's a very cohesive like um experience to read and uh it's also uh so different when compared to like every new superhero book that gets launched whenever we get like a, a generic like new um solo title for any of um 
like any of the Marvel characters that um, just ends up getting canceled after six issues or rebooted with another number one. And this is kind of like the opposite for me, right? It has a purpose. Um, it's there for 12 issues and it tells a story that's incredible and that's um, it is situated within the Marvel universe, no question, but it's um, it, it, it has a purpose in and of itself, I think is what, um, what sets it apart from a lot of comic books, sadly. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, I was thinking, kind of thinking how they have the annuals that come out and they have the new writers who kind of take over for the annual or who will change artists. Um, but those are mostly, well, not mostly, but a lot of those are for bigger characters or characters you've seen a lot of. Like I know there's a Spider-Man one that'll be coming out in the near future. And I've seen some others for other bigger characters. But I mean, we talked about Vision being people knowing who he would be, but he's still one of those smaller characters. Like you don't see as much written about him. He's not in the forefront all the time. And I would love for more stories like this to be written about smaller characters or not necessarily smaller, but characters who don't get as much page time all the time, because then we connect, like obviously all of us are connecting with vision and I would love to read more vision or read more with vision in it at least. And getting the chance to kind of see him as his own entity without you know, being that connected to the other Marvel characters across the, all of the Marvel characters that are out there um, and getting the chance to kind of say like, hey, this character, we don't talk about him a lot. Let's go ahead and talk about him right now. And like Maite brought up Black Bolt, like that is a similar idea. I had no idea really who Black Bolt was, but then that comic came out and it's like, wow, okay, that's who he is. Like, yeah, now we know who he is. And so getting to see more stories like this would, yeah, definitely be awesome. Definitely be something I would be behind and would buy and read and make all of Comicsers cover all the time. So, you know, come on, Marvel, please listen to us. In a universe in which there are four or five Wolverines, uh, it's nice to talk about someone who doesn't really get talked about a lot, you know? Um, it's And it's it also sort of similar to how when Destiny's Child uh, broke up and Beyonce and Michelle and um, the other one um wait what's the other one's name tina no beyonce michelle and the one whose name starts with a t i think uh sorry let me start over okay similar to destiny's child when all three of them went their own ways and one made an r&b album one made a pop album and one made a, like a church album or whatever or what do you call that spiritual album i something like that yeah um and says the guy with the lorarium in his bedroom so you're asking the really the wrong guy um but anyway i digress um but so similar to that you know when they break apart in these books that are more peripheral or that are more character driven and then they go back to the team books it makes it it makes the team books so much better because you know even though vision or or, or um vivian now might have you know 10 or 12 lines in the comic book we have a deeper understanding of why they're saying what they're saying and what they really mean because we understand who more of who they are oh yeah i agree and there's not the requirement of having to 
rush character development or there's not the requirement of having big old teams and saying, well, like this character gets two pages and that's all that we can give them. Having the smaller books gives you, yeah, like you said, the chance to kind of look at more individual team members and say like, oh, okay, I know about this one more and I've learned more about this one and I'm thinking kind of of the new West Coast Avengers that's going to be coming out um, where they have like Hawkeye, uh, Kate Bishop Hawkeye in it and we've seen her run and we're saying like, yes, like we want more Kate and getting the chance to, it's not quite the same as Vision, but still like she had her own run and she was focused and now she's going to go be on a team like, heck yeah, I'm going to read that because I freaking love her, but that's only because she had her own run. Like it wasn't like, oh, well, this random character that we're going to like shove in like, okay. I mean, Nolan and Rachel and I were talking about a miniseries that came out in 1986, which was about Firestar Angelica Jones, who was finally on the X-Men. She was in the Avengers and New Warriors and stuff. And, you know, it, it was something that stuck with me. What is it? 34. Oh, my God. Is it 34 years? Wow. I, look, I don't want to think about how long ago 1986 was. But yeah, I'm really bad. No, it was 32 years ago. Is that correct? Jesus Christ. Yeah, it was 32. Holy shit. Uh, <laughs> let me start this over. Sorry, I was blown away by that. Um, you know, I don't want to talk about this anymore, actually. It really dates me. I don't want to ruin my unfuckability that's already at one and make it go to zero, you know, my unfuckability number. It, you know, it just happened a while ago. Like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> No, but it's great to have comics like these. From here, I want to talk about that P versus OP thing, but I'm not sure what that is. N versus ON. Yeah, P versus MP. It's like, a, um, this is actually like one of the few things I remember for one of my computer science classes. P versus MP is basically a way of evaluating problems and p means that a problem is quickly solvable in polynomial time whereas np are verifiable in polynomial time but basically what that means is p problems can be solved np problems don't like can't necessarily be solved um i only talk about that in like issue six or something and it's saying that like some problems simply can't be solved and i guess the context of that was being applied to I don't know, was it Vision's family or something more specific? I don't exactly remember, but that's P versus MP. Thank goodness you knew that because I'll be honest, I had no idea what, like they explained it, but I was like, I'm an English major. Like, I don't know math. I don't know science. Like, what do you think that can also be applied to the idea that he believes that him and his family are programmed to not exact, not necessarily encounter problems and that every, that maintaining human life would be simple and that wouldn't really uh, cause all these conflicts that would arise throughout the story. So I think you see it in Vision, you also see it in Virginia. Tom King brought that in because it is derived from computational science. And it's kind of ironic that it's applied to a story that whose main characters are basically walking computers. So I think it's, it's, it's a way of viewing problems objectively. Um, but the interesting thing is that a lot of problems are so complex and that they don't necessarily have a solution. Um, and that's something that we definitely see throughout the work. To me, what you just said is what, in my opinion, this entire comic book is about. Like, and the lesson that Vision learns is that to me. And I, I saw everything that you guys saw, or felt what you guys felt, rather. But the thing he couldn't figure out was that what I guess some other people can't figure out, which is that life is hard and that there are no answers and it's hard to be alive and all that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, I think I can't remember if the book said this or this is my thought, but I feel like it's not mine because it's too smart for me. Um, I think they said somewhere like humanity's problems cannot be solved by a simple equation. And there is something Maite said that reminded me of this, but kind of going full circle almost to what I said earlier about being frustrated that Vision didn't notice anything was wrong with Virginia. I think it kind of goes back to this equation and how he thinks and how, you know, how he's processing things versus how people with a human brain quote unquote would process things and saying like, Hey, there actually are problems that you can't just solve logically, or you can't just look at and say like, obviously this should be the answer. Like, like my said, there are complex problems. There are things that take multiple ways. And like, you could choose an answer that still is wrong, but there's not a better answer, but vision doesn't really realize that. And so when things are going wrong with Virginia and her constant repeating things and not really understanding what's going on and like not being able to process, like that's not something that is computationally there, I guess, for vision as much as it would be for us, as it was for me to look at and say like, Hey, Oh my gosh, like, please someone notice that this is wrong with her. How are you not seeing this? But like that's something like if one of my friends was doing that obviously that's something I would pick up on and say that's not normal but for vision that wasn't really something he was able to compute and say like hey this is actually wrong this is something I need to take a look at yeah I think um part of that point is that um the book for me at least the way I read it kind of implies that um there are things that might seem illogical from that um from like an emotionally removed perspective, I guess, but that still have emotional value. And I think that this is kind of what um, what Vision's daughter learns from Scarlet Witch by the end of the book, is that um, the way that families work or the way that um, we want to to have that or achieve that sense of normality, it might seem, um, it might seem illogically or, uh, illogical or ultimately meaningless from... Uh, from like a robotic perspective, but even for people like or, or persons like uh, Vision and his family, who are uh, if where it's debatable whether they are human, but they are uh, definitely persons in in my opinion. Um, I think for, even for them it can have um, emotional value, and that is, um, I, I guess, that is a point that is validated um, in a lot of uh, parts of the book, especially by the end, I guess. Yeah, and you brought up emotions, and part of what I was thinking about that makes this book so genius, to use that word again, is that each one of these characters does have an emotional aspect that we would key into, that we can look at and say, like, wow, I have related to that in my my life. It might not be the same circumstance, it might not be the same situation, then having to go into school without them because something happened and that's somewhere we've all been before we've all been at school where our friends aren't there someone who we support or have in our daily lives like isn't there isn't able to support us in that day in that time like whenever that has been something we've all had and something that is easy for us to relate to and say like wow these characters are going through an emotional arc they are like having human emotions that we can see and recognize and kind of key into and say like yes this is something or uh viv yeah viv replaying that moment with uh that boy i can't remember his name ck but 
yes him yes <laughs> um playing that moment in her head over and over again and like going to his gravesite and just remembering that over and over again even before he died like that was a meaningful moment to us and there have all been moments in our lives where we replay something someone has said to us and made it mean something whether or not it's a boy or a girl or whoever it was like it still meant something to us in whatever context it came in so just moments like that were really something I appreciated, loved, loved to see in those characters. I thought it was done really well and definitely like drew out the emotional aspect of this book. Can we talk a little bit about the visual storytelling? Because I thought the art was just beautiful. I know from talking to you guys, the art was just beautiful too. And especially the colors. Every time Jordi Belair does uh, a comic, I'm always so blown away by the colors. The letters were really good in this. Um, and Gabriel Hernandez Walta was the artist. So, um, I just wanted to give them a shout out because I know we mentioned Tom King's name so much, but as we all know, comics are a collaborative effort and uh, these artists and letters uh, all did some amazing things. So let's talk about the art a little bit and the impressions it gave you and how it enhanced the story. I, I think when it comes to the art, there are two things that come to mind um, right away for me. And one thing, uh, one point would be the way that Vision and his family are portrayed is I think when you take a look at their facial features, they're not necessarily as defined as the fa facial features of um, main characters in other books. And I think we've talked about this in, in numerous um, uh, Comics First podcasts. Uh, it's kind of the, um, the concept of identification through simplification. Um, and I think that um, this very much applies here, right? We've talked about, uh, we've talked a lot about how um, some of the experiences that these characters uh, go through are relatable for us as humans, as uh, human readers. Um, I think the way that they are portrayed is in a way where we can project a lot of things on them, but that also, on like on the, I guess on the level of the plot, reflects the fact that they are still searching for their true um, individuality and, and character. And another thing that, um, in terms of the the visual storytelling, really um, really impressed me was the way that um, the the vase, the piano, the Everbloom, and the uh, the lighter were, I guess, um, juxtaposed with, with some of these characters in some of these situations. And it go also goes back into what we were talking earlier about with the with the foreshadowing. But I think that um, for some of these characters. Um, I guess the way that um, they interact with these objects uh, in some of the panels is just really indicative on, on a metaphorical level of what um, they are going through as characters. And I think uh, especially uh, about the Ginny, about um, the way that she sees herself as the piano, but also how um, uh, I, I think uh, the vase, I've talked earlier about how I think that's kind of a metaphor for, for her experience even. Um, but it also, ironically enough, is... Um, the way that she commits suicide in the in the in the last issue, and so I think that um, in hindsight gives um, like every um, panel where she kind of interacts with the vase in in a very subtle way give, gives that a, a whole new new meaning almost. I also wanted to talk about one of my favorite kind of whole pages actually in the book is actually when Virginia breaks the dining room table um, because the top panel is actually just a side shot of her with a completely blank background. And for me, that's so easy to relate to. That's how she feels in that moment. Cause that's after she has killed the Grim Reaper. And I believe it's even after she's killed CK 
I think I could be misplacing that, but I believe that's when it is. And it's just like completely blank. Like there's nothing going on. And then in the next, well, not right after that, but farther down on the page is just her completely shattering the table. And I, it was done so well. Like there are no words. Well, actually I think there's like, everything's normal, but like in general, there's no words. You're not drawn to the words on that page. You're drawn to what the colors, what the art style, what the portrayal is showing you and showing you just this extreme display of emotion that again, going back to the emotion, that's just crazy. And it's so beautiful to see. And I just love looking at that page and we'll continuously look at that page. But yeah, so I just love the way the table is shattering, the way you can see everything happening and just what's going on. And there's not any need for words. Like you can tell without even seeing like, Oh, everything is normal. Like you can tell nothing's going right. Nothing's going well. And that's just something you can see on that page. And I love the way it's done. I also, if I can go off on what you guys said combined is that the art does so masterfully what the writing also does so masterfully is that it manages to be so incredibly specific yet speak to things that are so broad at the same time. And that's something that I really enjoyed. I felt like I was looking at vision. I felt like I was looking at Virginia and Vivian and Victor and CK and all these different characters yet. I had no problem and getting lost in them and seeing myself in them and experiencing life through their perspective as any great comic should. I also love the covers. Um, I'm looking at two for Mike Del Mundo right now. And the one of them, I'm not exactly sure what issue it's for, but it's a picture of the Vision family playing Twister. And it's like the cover of like a photo album and it's getting burned. And it's just like Justin was just saying, like there's so much depth to these images and I, there's almost a story being conveyed in these images alone that parallel the narrative. And um, there's also another cover from Mike Del Mundo, which I think is for this, the flashback uh, with Scarlet Witch and its vision surrounded by images of Scarlet Witch. And even though, you know, we don't necessarily address these covers specifically in the context of the issue itself, I just think it, it just it's so relevant and it's just so, I mean, it's just like, you can't even, there's just so much complexity to these images and it just makes the story so much better. And that the art and the, the script itself have so much depth. What do you think Scarlet Witch's role is in this comic book? It's interesting because she almost has this overarching presence through Virginia, yet we only see her a few times and we see her in these flashbacks and it's, and you almost see how much of her relationship with Vision catalyzed these decisions he would make that would lead to the events of this story. And then we see her at the end, of course, trying to stop Vision from killing Victor. So even though her presence isn't necessarily physically large, she does play a large role when you start thinking about the story and the reasons why things happened the way they did. I think she has a, a a very wise presence, I would say, because she um she's a character who's known Vision in the past, who's loved Vision in the past, who has um like a lot of knowledge, I I guess, about him as a person that uh, other characters don't necessarily have. And in the end, she ends up, I think, teaching um, his daughter a very valuable lesson about um about family and about humanity and about logic and uh, about all the the themes I I thought were brought up. Um, but she's also, um, again, she has this presence, presence kind of all over the book. And, um, I think it's, it's fun to explore, um, especially in the second volume of, of the book. 
Yeah, I agree. I was thinking how when I started reading it, I kind of expected there not to be a mention of Scarlet Witch, um, purely because we kind of see Vision having this family, having this wife. Um, I guess not a mention, not no mention, but just like she wouldn't play as big of a role as she ended up playing um, because. I mean, we all, most of us have seen like the Marvel movies and we kind of have seen the trajectory of that relationship and have seen it kind of be in our present movie continuity. But that's not really where it is in comics and not that those should be the same, but kind of coming in saying like, oh, okay, he has his own family. Like there should not be Scarlet Witch around. Like there's no reason for her to be there now. Like he has moved on. He has a family. He has a different wife. But and like, well, just kidding. That first impression was completely wrong. And I'm glad it was wrong because she needed to be there. There is a very important reason for her to be there. I'm glad that she was included. It wouldn't have been the same without her. Like throughout it all, there's no reason for Vision to wipe away Scarlet Witch's memory, what happened with her. Like there's no reason for that. And it did come into play and it definitely should have. And I definitely think she had a, a big impact and I'm glad she was in the story and was included in that story. Yeah, me too. It's interesting to read a comic book where uh, Scarlet Witch is the voice of reason. If I was to ask, what do you think Vision's public persona is? How does he want the world to view him? What would you answer with? He's aware of himself being an Avenger and a hero, and so is the rest of the world. So that's a really, like, I can't really think of a solid answer to that because then you think, oh, maybe a family man, but... I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like we've been saying this whole time, we don't really know exactly his intentions with creating his family. So I think that's a very difficult question to answer. And I honestly don't really think I have an answer to it. Yeah, I agree with that. I started to answer and then was like, wait, I need to think about this a little bit more. The one answer that came to mind when Maite was talking was that he wants to be seen kind of how we see politicians and not really in like the hatred and like looking at all of their like ideals and stuff like putting that completely aside looking at like the persona of who politicians are and are supposed to be those people that in theory we can look up to we can say wow like their family life looks okay from the outside at least like they have a somewhat happy family life and i mean he's living in arlington which is literally like right down the street from dc um and so there's that like political not politician standpoint and saying like hey like look at who I am look at what I've done this is where I've come from here's where I am like please see me as this man but like also see me as this person who has you know emotions and like there are other sides to me than just this like one front that I put up if it's the hero front like whatever front it is that a lot of people will see and say like okay that's what this guy is um and say like okay like here's the well-rounded version of who vision is as a person as an entity as a whatever you guys I'm the lone survivor again I'm like I'm I'm Kiefer Sutherland in another ABC show um I because to me I think it's his public persona is so he actually states it, which is, I've saved the world 37 times. So to me, like, the fact that he keeps needing to reiterate that to himself, like, that's the vision he's trying to project, this hero, this guy who, who saved the world 37 times. And I think the family man thing goes into it. And like someone who has emotions, too, I think you guys are all right. Um, but that's just my opinion and, and, and what I got from it. 
But I thought very much that he wanted to be seen as the hero. And also, you brought up such a, another excellent point, Jordan. Is it takes place right near DC. DC plays a huge role in this. Government plays a huge role in this. What role does the setting play in this whole story? I mean, does the fact that it's set in DC influence the story at all? I mean, to me, there were some kind of Norman Rockwell moments. I honestly don't know. Like, obviously, we see Vision in a couple scenes, like, flying to help the president and flying to be in D.C. and be in that area. I'm not sure if the... I think the setting is important, but I'm not sure the how close it is to D.C. matters as much. Um, I think, like, more the suburban cookie-cutter type lifestyle and area that they're living in in Arlington is more relevant to the story and relevant to what's going on versus like being close to dc like we never see the kids like go to dc and like they don't really take like a family field trip there or like anything as far as that goes so like obviously them being close is a reminder of him being a hero and him having to be close to the president and close to say like all right i'm here if like anyone needs me but as far as like the broad story goes i'm not sure that being close to dc matters quite as much I think that um, him being close to DC and him also talking to the president just uh, further stresses kind of like the point that this is very close to like what's what's central about about America or uh, about the US even in a way because um, I mean in in the way that I guess the American dream is represented uh, of the suburban life is represented in a lot of media is, is always kind of connected to that right um, to the uh, to American ideas uh, about the American dream. And I think that um, um, the the suburbs in front of DC is just a just a really nice representation of that. So, what is the opposite of the hero of wanting to be seen as a hero, someone who saved the world thirty seven times? Because it's so weird. Because when I think about what the opposite is, or, or you know what, or because or, I'm thinking, what is Vision's need, and how do you determine the need by looking at what the opposite of being the hero is? The opposite of the hero, in a way, is being the villain. But if you look at it in terms of another scale, the opposite of being the one who saves everyone is the one who needs to be saved. And in the end, he's the one who needs to be saved, and he's saved by Virginia. I think a lot of that is brought on by Victor's character when he comes in. And I think he's supposed to serve as a sort of foil to Vision's character, or even like a double of Vision's character, because we see him express jealousy towards Vision and all his accomplishments. Um, and even, you know, he's infiltrating Vision's family, and then we come to find out that he was spying on them the whole time. So to see that, I, I think of all the characters in the story, I think Victor would serve as Vision's opposite, um, just as someone who... Uh, I mean, you see, he's kind of succumbed to his, like, solitary existence. He's had an addiction to vibranium, and you see him have a resentment towards Vision. And I feel like that's who Vision would have become had he not tried, had he not had this heroic perception of himself. I th- I guess now that I think about it is... Um... Uh, the way that his public persona could be described is also uh, if we if we take his public persona to be like the family man or the successful family man, like the opposite of that is is something always someone who doesn't uh, uh, who in no way manages like to keep his family together to to care for his family, um, and it just keeps escalating, I guess, in these in these uh, huge tragedies, which is what we see at the end of. Um, uh, the end of the book, which is kind of like the 
I guess the tragic flaw moment uh, for him in in this um, in this narrative, definitely. To me, his tragic flaw or what what jams up his ability to be seen as the hero and to be saved by people is the P versus NP debate. Is that he doesn't understand NP? The fact that he is trying to be so logical doesn't that in a way bring about his downfall? Because, oh man, because I just contradicted myself because it, what he does, well, justice is logical at that point, I think. But also, it's he's operating on pure fatherly rage at the same time. Yeah, that kind of ties in a little bit to what I wanted to go back to because justin you said the opposite of saving people is having to be saved yourself but as soon as you said that i thought no the opposite of saving people is killing people and i kind of think marius hit it almost on the head mostly what i wanted to say uh but what he does end up with is that fatherly rage where he does want to kill people and that so like yes i agree with maite saying victor is the foil to uh, vision but I also think Vic- vision is his own foil because he ends up doing the exact opposite of what he wants to do purely because he has become this humanized version of himself with the rage that Marius talked about so so sickly and I can't say much more about that but yeah that is like he has become this worst person in the eyes of Scarlet Witch as Mary said where he's given in to this villainized quote-unquote type of way of looking at the world and saying like yeah your worldly justice isn't my justice but how many supervillains have we heard say those exact same lines like well the world failed me so like i took on the world and like i'm the one who's dealing my own justice now so i think he also still has that like villainous aspect to where he ended up in the course of the story i think that's one of the things like we all love about this story is you mentioned Vision being his own foil, and that's in a, like a paradox in a way. And I think the story does a wonderful job of presenting these paradoxes like absurdity and emotion as logic and knowing as learning and all these things that don't necessarily make sense, but they work in the story. And it kind of all, at least everything that you and Marius were saying brought me back to the quote that says, um, to assert as truth that which has no meaning is the core mission of humanity. So in a way, it's saying each you know, each and every individual has their own perception of logic and truth. And that might totally juxtapose someone else's interpretation of that. So like you were saying, Vision's sudden, you know, perception of justice, you know, taking it into his own hands. Um, to him, that was logical, but to someone else that puts him in the category of supervillain. And I just, I just love the way these paradoxes are developed and intertwined into the story. And you know, like we were saying, the story does tie up all these loose ends, but the paradoxes are one of those aspects that leaves so much to interpretation. I I think to a large extent, it also depends on like what do we take for granted. And um, I think in from Vision's perspective, a lot to just be taking uh, stuff for granted um, as we do as humanity. I I mean, there's a lot of things that we we would assign value to or that we uh, would want to do in, in order to be virtuous. Uh, I guess a lot of what um, what our systems of morality come from is is just kind of like assumed like that, right? Um, and I think for him, for him, this is like ultimately um, n- not necessarily logical, but n- meaningless in the sense that it's it's not meaningful necessarily in and of itself. 
uh, which is uh, what he mentions at the beginning. And yet he still he still wants to do that, right? Um, and I mean, we it, it is true that the way that um, individuals interpret logic is um, is vastly different from one another. But I mean, logic in itself has some very strict rules. The way that we um, um, I guess conceptualize it, um, it just ends up being um, being used in in vastly different contexts, I guess, by these characters and and the way that um, he uses this, use it uses it later on is by um, by assuming a lot of stuff um, like axiomatically that is very much human, um, which is something that he's talked about before that he wanted to do in the future. I just thought that was interesting. By the end of the story, is the veil that. Vision is completely robotic, completely lifted. Do we, in the end, is his, was, let me ask this question again. Does his paternal rage, I guess as I should say, does, so does his paternal rage render him deeply human at the end and not robotic at all? Because he goes against, as Marius and Jordan were saying, he goes against what is logical in order and, and goes completely with emotion. I think that's hard because we come into this with the understanding of who vision is as at least somewhat of a robot. Like that's at least kind of how he was created. We come in with that understanding and I'm not sure that that ever changes. Like his, uh, the way that they draw him stays exactly the same or for the most part. Like there's never like, oh, or like his eyes aren't completely white anymore. There's still the outside elements of what he looks like at the beginning. And not that I'm saying he didn't change and that he didn't become more human, but I'm not sure I ever would have said like, oh, wow, he is full on human by the end. I'm talking about more like his soul. Oh, his soul. I don't know. Someone answered yeah, I don't know either because initially you see him like having that rage and that reaction to his son's death. And then at the end, you see him rebuilding. I, I think it was his son. And so you're almost thinking, you know, he's repeating the cycle and he's displacing his like Vin's persona onto a new host. So, you know, will all those feelings he had for his son kind of dissipate because he is recreating him and then you kind of think is that that's not necessarily human because he has the ability to do so so i don't know i think that's a really complicated question yeah i i think this idea that um he keeps going back to this uh process of like wanting to rebuild um people or even animals in his life um that is something that sets him apart from humans in a, in a very significant way because um, maybe that's part of the human experience that he doesn't um, necessarily understand is that um, it's not that easy to to replace individuals, right? Um, and it's not, um, it, it doesn't necessarily work out um, in the way that he's conceptualized it before because um, when, when he went into wanting to create a family, I guess a, a big part of that was he was he was also in the back of his mind thinking about uh, Scarlet Witch, um, and wanting I get I guess um, at least to a certain extent 
um, replace her in a way, which is supported by the fact that he ends up not loving Virginia because it's just it's just not the same, right? It's it, it's still a different person in the way that we understand that. Um, and I'm not sure that he he quite gets that um, if he keeps trying to recreate people, um, and it at least hints at kind of like his robotic nature and the the fact that there's still there are still um, things about the the human experience that he he doesn't really understand, um, and I, I guess um, there are a couple of examples of this throughout the book, which is why I'm hesitant to um, to claim that he's uh, in the in the end is 100% a human, but that that's also so I think supported by the fact that he still has a sense of um, identity that's uh, that's. Uh, explicitly um separate from that i agree with what you're saying but i want to just challenge that just a tiny bit to be the devil's advocate in this one situation because we were talking about how he keeps doing the same thing kind of over and over again and logically even we know like that's not that's not right and then there's that like cliche quote about doing the same thing over and over without changing becomes madness and that kind of feels like a human quality to me is to say like oh like logically i know what this is and if he was like the computerized robot like he should be able to say like oh well this didn't work like done with this so i don't know if his humanity comes out more in the that idea of madness and insanity like coming out and repeating the same thing over and over again i don't know Oh yeah, I I definitely agree with uh with your take on this, and, and I think that's uh one of the like beautifully paradox things about the book is that he's he at the same time he's uh too not human to understand it, but he's also not human enough to understand it. I think because um as you said, it takes logic to um to come up with better solutions in in this situation, but it also takes kind of like the the human component to uh fully grasp the I guess the emotional um the emotional aspects that go into it um all the emotional dimensions that i think his daughter understands better than him to be honest um and i think that's uh just in in terms of um emotional intelligence that he's lacking in that regard and that's something that uh, i guess we would connote as as being more human so i think that that's very much like a, a an interesting paradox so what's the biggest life lesson that you each personally got from I think it's to to embrace not being normal and to um recognize the danger of of trying to fit into into these need like normative frameworks but it's also to to understand what makes us human and what um how we derive value from that um and how sometimes um logic is not necessarily like the only thing we uh we can use to make sense of that and that there is an emotional component to that as well which is uh well ultimately uh, i wouldn't say it's what makes us human but it's uh for a lot of us it's a part of that yeah i agree with pretty much everything maria said i also think that family played a large part in the thematic elements of this book even though it kind of implodes towards the end. Yeah, I agree with that. And not taking things for granted is to tag on to the end of what Maite was saying, um, which is kind of something I got more from us talking about it, but like that was somewhere in my brain. Um, And then the other thing is 
embracing hanging out with other humans and like embracing the people who make you who you really are. Um, I am like a huge advocate for friends being like the best thing in the world. Um, but especially like, I think that is very easy to see in this story where Viv and Vin only have each other, but when other humans start reaching out, like CK reaches out to Viv and is like, Hey, like this is what's going on. And I think the evidence of her replaying that over and over again, has become like a really strong like yes personal connection those friends like they are there to like kind of tether you down and say like hey like you might not think you're normal but like we still like you like everything is fine and that is something that I love and I'm glad that that that's what I got out of it at least we can't fix every problem that we encounter and I think it's human nature to want to solve every problem that we experience and every conflict we have with, a, with another individual but we need to keep in mind that not necessarily we can't not every problem requires a solution, and sometimes there isn't one. And I think that's part of the natural process of life, is acknowledging that and kind of enduring that and finding a way to get out of those problems without necessarily finding a solution or just accepting things for how they are sometimes. That was so well said. And yeah, I mean, I, the, the biggest thing I got from a person was that there is no one. And I like that, because I'm definitely not but Ooh, not normal. But, ooh, go not normal club. You know, that's going to do it for this episode. So thank you, everyone, so much for listening. Uh, remember, you can go to comicsfirst.com, listen to more podcasts like these. On this page, you'll find a link to Comicsology where you can go and buy this comic. Do check that out. And thank you so much for listening. And uh, thank you, Maite, Jordan, and Marius for uh, discussing the vision with me. And thank you, Tom King and Gabriel Hernandez-Walta and Jory Belair and Clayton Powell and everyone who was on this comic. It was truly, 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 truly beautiful. And have a good night, everybody. Bye.